Thank you all so much for being here today. I'd like to introduce the curator of the show, Melissa Ho, who will be introducing Ted Prescott. Hi. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really delighted that we have Ted Prescott with us today for this gallery talk. Ted lives in Pennsylvania. Um, where he established the art major and taught at Messiah College for almost 30 years. And he assisted Scarpita on making some of his race cars from that period, including the one in front of us here, Sal Kragar. Um, Ted also spent a lot of time with Scarpita during the years, starting in the later 1980s, when Scarpita was actively racing cars, uh, mostly in central Pennsylvania. So without further ado, I'd like to hand the mic over to Ted. Thank you very much, Melissa. Um, I, I'm really just tickled to be able to do this. It's been um, just a pleasure to think back on my time with Sal. And part of my motive for wanting to do this really is to honor Sal and um, all of the things that uh, I learned from him, all of the gifts uh, that he gave to the people that knew him. Melissa and I and my wife were talking beforehand upstairs, and um, Sal was just um, a, a hugely a huge presence in everybody's life, and he was certainly one in, in my life too. So that this is a way to both uh, kind of honor him and, and thank him in some ways. I'm gonna mention a couple of people when I'm talking. Oh, I should say one thing too. Um, you know, this is a small enough group. If, if I say something that's not clear and you have a question, please, please uh, just, you know, raise your hand and ask it. You know, as an old academic, I'm perfectly happy to do that. So um, I'd be, be happy to entertain questions or we can wait to the end if, you, if you'd prefer to do that. Um, I'm going to mention three people because they figure um, in some of the things that I'm going to say. One is Peter Richards. Uh, a sculptor that was here for the opening. Uh, he was um, a friend of mine from my undergraduate days in Colorado, and uh, he's from San Francisco, and he actually helped me with the making of some of the things I'm going to talk about. Second um, <clears throat> person is uh, Bruce Colvin, who passed away about uh, 16, 18 months ago, who was also a Reinhardt graduate at MICA, and um, was really passionate about Sal, um, knew his work probably better than almost anybody I knew. Um, and Bruce was a, um, he taught at Pratt Institute for many, many years. And uh, he was a true, truly knowledgeable about both automobiles and motorcycles. And so we would trade information back and forth. And I always sort of, he was my go-to person for what's the history of this, what's the accuracy of this. Then finally, my wife, Kathy, who's um, right over here, um, because she's known Sal as long as, as I have, and a lot of our experiences of Sal are shared together. So when I say, you know, uh, Pete, Bruce, and Kathy, that's, that's who I mean. Uh, I went to MICA, I went to Reinhardt in the fall of 1968. I got my MFA in 1970. My friend Bruce said to me, and he had just graduated, um, he, he had left MICA, he was two years ahead of me, um, someone you must get to know is Sal Scarpita. And um, so I was like, mm-hmm, okay. And then when I got there, Peter Richards, my friend, was one year ahead of me. And, um, you know, I must have said something about Sal. Sal was a visiting artist at um, MICA. He would come down uh, for two days every two weeks. And if I remember correctly, his appointment was actually in either the Hofburger or the Mount, I think it was the Mount Royal School of Painting. And, uh, but he gravitated naturally to um, the sculpture 
um, studios, which are in the old B&O Railroad Station in, in Baltimore. And um, so how I actually got to know him, I'm not quite sure. Um, but he would, when he'd come down, he'd stay with various people. And um, he would stay with Kathy and myself um, on, on many occasions. And I started working for him. He asked me if I wanted to make some car parts for him. And I was very interested in that. And I was just one of many, many people um, that made car parts for him. Um, one of the, uh, the goals of his work was he was having a show at uh, the Castelli Warehouse, which was on 108th Street in uh, Manhattan. Leo Castelli had opened a gallery um, to show larger work, and it was um, north of Central Park a little bit, and it was to be Sal's racing cars, which had been shown in the um, Castelli Gallery before, but Sal was adding some new cars to it. So specifically, and, and you know, I remember Sal much better than I remember making things, but uh, specifically on this car, I made the, um, the grill shell, which is the white object that you see here, and the grill, and I know Peter Richards helped me on the grill. We made probably four or five different grills and it was much harder. We, we, we really fussed with those a lot to get them right because our technology wasn't, wasn't that great. I mean, we were, I mean, I mean, our craft was also questionable sometimes, but the technology we had was also questionable. So um, I remember aligning, getting the alignment of all those rods right was really something. And I made the cowl, which is behind the engine to the driver's seat back there. They're cast fiberglass. And the way Sal would work, is um, he, was, he was, like a lot of artists, a scavenger. And he was always getting stuff. He had this kind of ratty old pickup truck, and he'd come down and he'd pull up to the Mount Royal uh, station, and he'd pull something out of the back, like maybe that, um, you know, maybe the um, grill shell there. And uh, it would be kind of dented up or something, and he'd say, can you make me one of these? And so I'd fill, um, fill clay into the dents and stuff like that, and I'd take a plaster cast of it, and then I'd make a, um, a, a fiberglass mold of that, and then I'd paint it. And I was learning very much as I was going along, too, um, doing things. And um, one of the things that, one of the hardest things that Sal gave me to do, to make, was, and he brought me drawings. Because Sal's, Sal's cars, I mean, one of the things you have to understand about his cars is, he was as far from the idea of restoration as you can possibly get. You know, they're not restored vehicles. They are constructions. If you think of things like assemblage, collage, bricolage, all of those things, he was bringing things in that didn't necessarily fit together. And he had an engine, and I don't remember what the engine was, but he wanted motor mounts for the engine. And so he brought me this drawing, and he said, can you make these motor mounts for me? And I'm like, oh, sure, Sal, I can make those. Cut them out of quarter-inch plate steel, and um, they had to have a 90-degree weld in them with some holes in them and everything. Everything was fine except <laughs> the darn weld, and I was stick welding at the time. I don't know if any of you are welding technology people, but stick welding gets a lot of, it's easy to get bubbles in it because of the flux and the gas and everything. So I kept getting holes in it, and Sal wouldn't accept them. Now, I mean, this is not a functional car. This was just something that he wanted, and he didn't want me to fill it in with body putty, you know, so I kept grinding them out and, you know, redoing them, redoing, and, and finally got it. Um, in the spring of 1969, um, I took uh, about a week off and went up 
to New York. I stayed with um, my sister-in-law sister and helped Sal install the show um, at the Leo Castelli Gallery. He probably had about 15 or 20 people helping him. I know that when the, um, when the show opened, he bought everybody that helped him um, a garage mechanic suit, sort of like one of the racer suits that's pictured over there, and had um, everybody's name individually sewn on it so that we were all walking around looking like we were part of his racing team. And he had all of these, all of these cars there. For me, one of the things that I loved and learned uh, very much about Sal was, I would say, a certain kind of attitude about art. Um, I think probably uh, one of my motivations for getting to know Sal was, wow, here's this New York artist, and I want to get to know a New York artist, because obviously doesn't everybody want to become a New York artist someday? Isn't that what artists do? They just aspire to go to New York? And what I learned is, and I was just telling Melissa this beforehand, Sal really didn't talk about the art world that much. He didn't talk about the people he knew. And um, so although I spent a lot of time with him, I heard, I heard some wonderful stories, but most of them weren't about art world people. And so when I went to the Castelli, um, you know, to work in, to the Castelli Open, I was kind of underwhelmed by the whole thing because I understood it maybe more through Sal's eyes in terms of this is a human experience, these people are human, you know, don't uh, think of the hype so much, but just think of the artwork and what it is. Sal did not think of what he was making as a career. Um, he really, it came out of his passion. And um, his passion really was ignited by his childhood experiences. I, I don't know. Am I telling you stuff you, you, you don't know? I mean, you do know? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, if I'm just rehearsing the obvious, please let me know. But OK. Um, he grew up in LA. His father was a, um, um, a sculptor that came over from Italy, from Sicily, uh, and was quite a successful sculptor from what I gather from what Sal told me later on. I was in his studio one time. Um, much later, when, during the, the racing years, and he had a little bronze piece there that was his dad's that he had had cast, uh, that had been in, in clay, and he'd had cast. Uh, and I, I think his father was a big influence in his life, but the true influence was that he lived near Ascot Speedway, and um, the cars right from the go were something that was important to him. He uh, went to Italy to study when he was about 17 years old. He was there during World War II, an American citizen in Italy. Um, he was with the partisans in the Ap Apennine Mountains um, for a while, stayed in Rome afterwards, and became part of the culture of sort of uh, modernist avant-garde Rome um, artists. And uh, that was where he met Leo Castelli, and Castelli um, you know, liked Sal's work a lot and told him he should, you know, come to New York. And so Sal made a few trips back and forth, and I think he uh, finally moved to New York about 1958, something, something like that, and, and showed um, with Castelli. He was, you know, the, if you know something about the period of that time, Castelli was sort of the Larry Gagosian in a, in a very, I mean, in terms of the, the presence that he had in the art world. Would you say that's a fair comparison? Yeah. Not, I think, in terms of maybe the, <laughs> the kind of work, but, I mean, every, you know, sort of well-known artist, Andy Warhol, Robert Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, blah, 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 was in that gallery. And um, Sal was definitely sort of in the, 
in the background. He was not the person that got a lot of attention. And I think part of it was because, to use a racing metaphor, he was on his own track, pretty much. And, um, um, you know, if you read the wall text, one of the wall texts around here, it talks about the fact that when Sal's work first came out, it was right at the time that pop art um, emerged. And so some of the critical commentary of the time made people think, this is another form of pop art. And really, frankly, in my judgment, nothing could be further from pop art or many of the other trends of the time. He was really somebody that was pursuing something. He was pursuing a vision. He had a desire. He made things out of love. One of the things that uh, Kathy and I were talking on the way down in the car that he um, said to her one time that meant more than um, a lot of compliments was he looked at a painting she'd made and he said, that's really lovingly painted. He didn't say that's well crafted. He didn't say great technique. He looked for the passion and the motivation that was in the work. And the motivation for him was connecting with that past and also with the tremendous kind of um, what, what shall I say, um, you know, just life that he found in these vehicles and then in the racing community. Um, I brought a couple of show-and-tell things, but one of the things I want to do even before I do that is to read um, something quite by accident. Um, I was going through some old sketchbooks of mine, and I write in as much as I draw in my sketchbooks, and I was looking for an old drawing and I found um, something that I'd written about Sal. Um, I had a young uh, um, boy who was the son of a colleague of mine at Messiah College, and he um, was passionate about art, and in high school he knew more than most college kids did about the story of contemporary and modern art. And he loved Sal's work. In high school he imitated Sal's work. It was really marvelous. So um, I took him to um, a race right around um, the, the year 2000. It was uh, right before the 4th of July. And um, we were um, sitting in Sal's trailer before the race, and Peter, high school kid, asked him, he said, uh, how did you come to Pennsylvania and start getting involved in real racing? And um, Sal said, start talking about the New York of the 1970s, you could just see or feel the boredom pouring out of the paintings. I mean, it was awful, very thin. So I wanted to do something that had a little life and reality. And I think, you know, there's the thing that's a, just a tremendous connection. He admired the conviction of the racers, that they gave their entire being to it. He loved the risk of it. Part of it was it was a high-stakes thing, um, so that that was something that was important to him. And um, I think that was ultimately part of the transition to the real racing thing. I think another thing about transition for Sal was when he started racing that... Um, it sort of closed the art life gap, which if you're familiar with sort of the narrative of, you know, America or modern art really, but particularly American post-war art was a real concern. You know, what's art for? And Sal managed to really make things that were seen as art, but also had this independent life as a functional, made thing that competed and had some other purpose than to just be art. And I think that was for him very, very satisfying. 
Sal wasn't particularly interested in categories. Um, you know, I'm much more historically minded, I think, than he was. And I think one of the reasons that Sal's perhaps been a little bit overlooked in the contemporary art world is he just didn't neatly fit into, you couldn't do a historical progression on Sal the way you could, you know, Cezanne begot Picasso, who begot so-and-so, and, you know, on that kind of thing. He's just not part of that line in um, some ways. One of the things I loved about Sal too was, and it's part of his, you know, not being a careerist, is that he was very, very much interested in just regular people. Um, he had a tremendous passion for um, regular people and uh, people that were oppressed, uh, went out of his way to uh, try to help people, was an outspoken advocate um, for anything that he thought infringed on people's rights and liberty. and. Um, Part of that was that he wasn't a snob about art institutions. And um, so when, I, um, when Sal started racing in Pennsylvania, I asked him, I said, Sal, would you, would you do a show for us at Messiah College now? <laughs> you know, Messiah College is just off the radar of art institutions. It's not an art institution. And Sal said, sure be glad to do a show for you. <laughs> and so, and Don Forsyth, my friend who was a faculty member, um, was there and it was really quite an unusual experience for, for Messiah College. Uh, first off, the gallery was designed for much more genteel art than a race car. And so it really wasn't meant to, um, um, you know, bring one in. And we had to essentially take the car apart and reassemble it inside the gallery um, to do it. But the other thing is that we, you know, there was no prestige in this for Sal, and there was also very little money in it for Sal. My friend Pete Richards, I was talking to um, um, just the other day about this, and Pete curated a large show of Sal's work down in North Carolina, and he said the same thing. He said Sal didn't even ask about the money. He just said, sure, let's do it. And that's the way he was. So I wanted to... Um, Yes, it was a functional car. It was, a, as a matter of fact, I think it was the blue 59 car. It was when Ricky Schmalian, yeah, and because and, here you can see, this, this was the poster that we had for the gallery show. Sal and I discussed this quite a bit, and he said, whatever you do, don't make something tasteful. You know, he, <laughs> you know, he didn't want graphic designers to design this. So, you know, I, I um, worked hard to make it look like racetrack, um, and it says, that the text on it says, and this is quoting Sal, this racing car is competing for real. It's on its 49th race, 10 wrecks, and a victory. This is Sal idea, uh, Sal's idea of total art involvement. He is not using paint as an implied art. He is in the art to continue. And this is Ricky Schmalian, and this is, um, I don't know if any of you have ever been to uh, sprint car races, but they're just tremendously exciting. And one of the things I always love about them is that when the driver hits the gas, the front, front end will just rear up the way you do a wheelie in a motorcycle. Um, you know, so if you like that, that kind of thing. I, I thought one other thing I could just you know, show you because I, when, when I came to the opening, it's just so much a part of Sal's vocabulary and it came out of the Reinhardt um, School. I told you Sal just picked up stuff everywhere. When we were at Reinhardt, um, it was 68 to 70, um, there was a huge government surplus facility 
in uh, Jessup, Maryland. And uh, Reinhardt had a Jeep, a World War II Jeep that all the students got to use that came from there. We had a steak truck, we had a forklift, we had all these things that were government surplus. Somebody told me we could have bought a fighter plane if we'd wanted. I don't know if that was the case or not. But we used to go out quite a bit to Jessup. And one of the things that, um, that Jessup had was this webbing here. And you can see several rolls of this. And this, you know, I just never used all of mine up. Pete and Sal both grabbed lots of this stuff. And if you go into the other room, I would guess that some of the things that are wrapped around the sleds, you know, had their origin in this, this webbing. This is from the late 60s. This is from the late 60s. I, I still have quite a few things <laughs> that I, I grabbed from, from, from there. I mean, you'd pay like a dime for them or something like that, you know. It would be um, amazing. Pete Richards one time drove a uh, steak truck, um, the big truck from Reinhardt, full of stuff that Sal had scavenged to Sal's Stanton Street studio to unload it for him. So Sal was always collecting things for possibilities. I don't think it was that just right then he needed it, but you know, you keep things around and it's, it's something um, that you could use. I, I'll close this and I'd be glad to entertain questions or if you would like to ask questions, but I'll close by one thing. Um, in 2011, my wife and I were in France and we were in Paris and there was a show at the uh, Museum of Decorative Arts, which is right near the Louvre, of Ralph Lauren's collection of racing cars. Now, I love beautiful cars. I'd actually seen a couple of those cars in different, different circumstances, but it was incredible. I mean, he owns, you know, cars that are just phenomenal, like one of four of the Bug 1937 Bugatti, I think it's the K series, and everything. Now, every one of those, think Ralph Lauren for a minute, every one of those is polished to the highest degree they're totally restored. They are essentially abstractions of themselves in some ways. And um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time in the show. I came back, I, I took some brochures with me, and I mailed one of them to my friend Bruce Colvin, who at that time was living in Texas, and who, as I said, was a real car aficionado, and knew many of these cars well. And so we called to talk afterwards. One of the cars was called a Blower Bentley. It was evidently the first, um, um, what am I trying, supercharged, one of the very first supercharged cars that ever was. And it had been a great racing car and it had been totally wrecked. But you could never tell that from looking at it. So when Bruce and I talked, he was just furious that the history of the car had been eradicated for a, an idea of, you know, sort of this is perfection. Sal never had that idea of perfection. Sal was always about human usage, things being used and accepting the marks of that usage as part of the vocabulary of life, but also a, a really a great aesthetic vocabulary too. I think one of the things that's perhaps for, for talking about all of the content in Sal's work, uh, he's a great formal artist. I really, really believe that. I think that his, his, just his sense of material, his sense of the way he puts things together is really, really um, uh, beautiful. So I hope this has been of some use to you and I'm happy to answer questions if you, if you would like. I, I have a question. Yes. But I, I really appreciate your, your, what you're talking about him because I come from Italy mm -hmm. and I live in Rome. 
So every year in Rome there is a Mille Miglia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is is a fantastic race because it's an old car, but it's like artistic car. Yes. So if you see, I, I remember perfectly the sensation of to see in Rome on the patio and see this car racing. Because, and uh, this car is like that. Yes, 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 yes. He was, I mean, I remember talking to Sal about the ah. Mille Miglia, you know, that ah. was a very, very famous race, right? I didn't, I didn't know that they still held it as yes, sort of a, yes, a, a, yes. a, a, as a historical event. Yes, yes yeah. With the Ferrari, old Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and all through the, not on a racetrack, but all no, through the streets, yes. During the, the, the center of Rome, yeah. it's very nice. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Very okay. <laughs> great, <laughs> great, thank you. One of the things, though, I, I will say about these cars versus, um, you know, the, the Italian cars that Sal felt very strongly about, and it wasn't that he disliked uh, Italian cars, he had a Maserati Mexico, um, so he, he was very familiar with and comfortable with them. But uh, he never drove it, as far as I know. He just had it sitting in one of his studios. But um, he loved the American cars because they, particularly the American racing cars, the dirt track cars, because they were made by people who had other jobs and were making them out of their interest as opposed to their profession. And it sort of gets at this career thing. And, and he was, at the time that I was going out to the track, sprint car racing was just starting to um, get to be serious in terms of, of money. And I, I talked to a lot of um, sprint car owners and drivers that were really kind of concerned about that because they, they felt that it was going to take the soul out of the sport in some way. I, I, I haven't followed it much since uh, Sal stopped racing. I, I read about it in my local paper, but I, I haven't been to the track in quite a while. I know Melissa was at Lincoln and really enjoyed that. It was a great track. I spent a lot of time at Lincoln. Um, so it was a, a real treat to go out and uh, sit with Sal at the races because he would get extremely passionate. He'd jump up and you know start gesturing about things. And uh, he, he lived life two-fistedly, you know, so um, that's... You know, there were two sides to sell. There was the social, I need a lot of help side, where um, th there was, you know, there, there was a lot of collaborative things going on. Um, and then there was the solitary cell. And he actually spoke about that um, after his involvement with these cars, before he entered the, um, entered the real racing scene, he needed time just to be by himself in the studio. And as far as I know, I, do you do you know? Well, that's what motivated the sleds. Yes, yeah. The sleds are what came in between, and those were works that he could do by himself with his own hands and not have a whole team of um, collaborators yes. and technical uh, consultants. Yeah. So whereas, you know. These are right before. Yeah, yeah, and and these I would assume I mean that would also have been come out of his own his own I mean the wrapped paintings would have come out of that. Yes. There's a wonderful. Yes, the Paul Cummings interview. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it is. That's, I, I read that. You know, trying to prime, trying to prime for this. You know, yeah. It's uh, it's it's a very good interview, and it, it's interesting because it's 1975. We don't. It's before the transition to this, and it really describes the way he thinks about these cars very, very differently. I was telling um, Melissa beforehand. Um, one of the things that I felt in my reading, and my reading isn't exhaustive about it, but the Sal's connection to futurism was rather underplayed a little bit. 
And um, interesting to figure why that is. But he met Marionetti when he was a young man. And um, he was influenced by what were called the neo-futurists that were artists that were working in the 30s, 40s, into the 50s, I believe, in, in Rome. And um, you know, if you've read the Futurist Manifesto, one of the great claims of the manifesto is that um, a, a racing automobile with belching exhaust pipes is more beautiful than the victory of um, Samothrace. You know? So it seems to me that there was a kind of a fulfillment there. Another kind of image, and I'll just float this out as I was thinking about this, is there's almost something, the transition from this to this, there's almost something Pygmalion-like about it, which is that the artist makes something and then it takes on its own life over here. I mean, that's stretching something, but, it, but I think there, there is an element of that, of that in it. Yes? Boy, you know, that's, that's the $64 question. And uh, Pete and Bruce Colvin and I have all, all talked about that. When I first started working for Sal, my impression was uh, Leo Castelli uh, paid all of his artists a stipend, a monthly stipend. Uh, Sal um, was a visiting critic, I think that would have been, uh, or a visiting artist at the Maryland Institute. I don't think that paid much at all. Um, sometimes Sal would come, you know, I'd be working on something and he'd come and he'd be kind of sheepish and he'd say, Ted, I can't pay you this week or this two weeks because he was just kind of perennially short on cash, you know, it, it was the impression that I had. Um, I know that uh, roughly, I would say, I'm trying to think, and I believe, I believe it's in the Cummings interview or something that I was reading, in the early 70s, maybe the late 60s, Sal's cars really took off, interestingly, in Europe. Uh, when I was talking to Melissa about the show, she said one of the problems with doing the show is that so much of Sal's work, particularly the cars, are, are in European collections. Yeah. I could just add something about that. Um, two of his cars were shown on the occasion of the Venice Biennale in, I think it was 1973, um, and they sold right out of that presentation. Um, the Italians still really remembered Scarpita. They had, he had not been back there. He had, in a, he had shown you know, a little bit in group exhibitions since he left in the late 50s, but after that, uh, I think he mentioned that there was so much interest from that presentation that Castelli brought over, you know, several dozen paintings and sold them in Europe. So he did make money from sales primarily in Italy, not so much in the United States. And, and I would gather, um, trying to answer the question just a little bit more, as I knew Salon in the 80s and the 90s, it seemed like he had more, it's not cheap to run a sprint car team, even, even if you have a sponsor like Leo Castelli. I mean, every sprint car has sponsors. And I don't know if you notice on this, uh, it says Prime Rib on the front of that. That was a sponsor, uh, it was a steakhouse in Washington, D.C. here that um, um, Sal knew the owner of. And one of the big thrills in Sal's life, I, he told it to me on several occasions, was that Paul Newman was having dinner in the steakhouse, saw pictures of Sal's car, got Sal's number from uh, the owner, and called Sal. Now, what Sal loved about it was not that Paul Newman was a famous actor, actor but Paul Newman was a racing car driver, and that's what he, he really was thrilled by. You know, Paul Newman called me up and he wanted to talk about my car. <laughs> it was really great. 
Yes. That's a that, that's a that's a really 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 excellent question, um, <laughs> and boy, we could we could talk about this for hours. I'll try to be really brief about this. Um, one of the things that you constantly see being played out in art is the separation between the idea of the artist and the physical manifestation that the artwork takes. And I think the best way to understand this is, just like a lot of artists, Sal got to a place where to realize his dreams, he largely turned over his work to experts. One of the things that I remember Sal being, this says on it, it's a, uh, a Walt Shriver engine. But uh, Sal then moved to another engine maker named Donny Ott, and he was, and you know, those engines aren't cheap. At that time, they were selling for twenty, thirty thousand dollars a piece, I think, and you could blow an engine really quickly. So it, well, you didn't, you couldn't have just one. You have to have have more than one. So um, you know, obviously, Sal's not building at that point. But what he's thinking about is he's thinking about how this sort of fits into the, you know, how it's coming out of this and how it's the completion of this in some ways, and it's alive. It's not, it's not the residue of something, but it's the act, act itself. He told me one time, and I love this story, um, you know, on the wings, he, Leo Castelli's name was often there. Now, if you roll a car, the wings are great for a couple of reasons. Aerodynamically, they push the back end down to get more traction, but also, when the car rolls, they're kind of a, like a cushion. And so, wrecked wings are something that you'll see a lot when the, when the car rolls. And Sal grabbed me by the shoulders one time and he said, European collectors love to have a wing that's all crumpled up with Leo's name on it. And I thought that was really funny. So, anyhow. But, but they, he, he didn't make them. But he would be out there, I can remember moving the cars, you know, like when you move a car, um, there's no reverse in these cars, so you would have to pick up the, the front end and you'd walk it around. Yeah, and uh, we would all do that together, you know, three or four of us. I'm sorry? Oh. Is that typical of others? Well, this is, I would say this is, there, there's personal references in here. Yeah, um, so that one of them is Vito, the dog. Sal had a pit bull named Vito, who one time ate about a, pound of really nice blue cheese at our house. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, he, um, um, in, in the name of Sal's children um, on the one side and his wife and mistress uh, are on there, then all of his, you know, driving friends. Uh, so yes, there's a lot of personal imagery in here, but the cars, it, it shares an aesthetic with the cars. It's not that distinct. The thing I love, and I asked Melissa about this, is if you look at the, at the dashboard on that, it says Age of Rage. And the story Sal told me about that is that the painter, and remember, I, I know I related this to you, and I don't know, Pancho Brown. The painter is African-American, and if you go to the races, you know, particularly in the 1980s, 1990s in rural Pennsylvania, you, you just don't see a lot of black people at all, you know? And, um, so he's out there at the track with Sal, and he's watching them drive, and he's watching the drivers. And, and the drivers are, by nature, pugnacious. You know, they're, they're, you have to be to be in that sport. And uh, so he's looking at everything, and he says to Sal, 
boy, these guys are really pissed off. <laughs> so that's where the age of rage came from. That's what Sal told me. I'm... Um, I know that a certain number of the cars he created, even in the 60s, he did actually complete to the state where they broke. They were running, yes. So did you ever run? Yes, yeah. yes. No, 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 no. This, yes, yeah, yeah. No, I saw a lot of the other cars, like the Ernie Triplett car, the Rage O'Jack, um, uh, Rail Duster, you know, I, I saw those cars. I never saw them run. And, no, I never saw them run. I always saw them exhibited, um, you know, in that Castelli show. Those were, those were all in that Castelli show. And I also saw them in Sal's studios, although I think Rage O'Jack went very quickly, if I remember right. That was one. No, no, but I mean, I, it, it left his studio quickly, I think, you know, that was one of the first ones to go. One of the things I love about this car is, um, because it's incomplete, um, in a way, I was looking at it this morning, it's, I, I, don't, I don't quite know how to say this, but what's left out is, is as important as what's there in some ways. Like, for instance, you have the uh, gear shift, but um, you know, there's really no, no mechanism for starting the thing. You have the magneto, you have the spark plugs, but the leads aren't connected up. You know, there's just all kinds of little, little touches um, like that, and it's sort of like, this is almost like the ghost of a car or the spirit of a car in some ways. And, uh, and I think that, to me, partly explains that wonderful primer gray and white um, that, that were there. I don't, Sal never thought like that. He never ever would have said, you know, I want to make the ghost of a car. Um, it would have been something where as he is working on it, he's just making decisions all the time. So. Is if you see this kind of car, mm -hmm. you always think about pop art, and in particular Liechtenstein. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But if you see, if you see this car, you think about Arte Povera that comes in yes. Italy in '69 yes. with yes. the trailer. Yes. Yes. So I think there is something. Or, or do you think I'm wrong? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, he, he's connected with Art Povera. I mean, he knew many of those, those artists. I'm trying to think of the artists. Uh, maybe I think uh, um, Pascali, Pino Pascali. Mm -hmm. he, he, he died in the racing. And he connected between a, a pop art from mm -hmm. US mm -hmm. uh -huh. and Arte Povera from Italy. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I th but unfortunately, he, he died when he was uh, young uh -huh. in, in Rome. So. Uh, is, a, is a connect, uh, but I don't know about. Is only my sensation that I saw. No, I, I think I think the instinct. What your instinct is absolutely right. Wouldn't did it, from yeah historically? I mean that's the case. Um, showed in Rome at Galleria Tartaruga, which then went on to be the the place where Arte Povera sort of um, came to public attention a little bit later than when he was there. But I think there's a very strong lineage there, and I think those artists were aware of his work. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, great. I, um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to entertain other questions, but also I'm just happy to share my enthusiasm for, for Sal's work and for his life with you. And thank you um, having... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because you're standing, but I know from years of teaching when you're sitting, particularly around lunchtime, oftentimes the eyes close. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much, Ted. Really appreciate it.